So if you were a lawyer in a movie, would you most want, or what, what would be your favorite part of being a dramatic lawyer in a movie? Would it be talking to the cops, demanding evidence, or are you all about the dramatic courtroom scene? Oh yeah, the cross examination. Uh, oh yeah, the be, cross acts. Yeah. The, that would what, be my that jam. Was the word I was reaching for. Um, yeah, I really like. I, I like getting into arguments and debates and playing devil's advocate and stuff like that. So it would be really great to be on the opposite side of something and like trying to catch someone in a lie or, you know. Um, uh, I, I like in <laughs> I like watching YouTube videos of interrogations or courtroom things of you know when they walk someone down this path of like so there's no reason why your DNA would be in this room right and then it's like oh yeah we found your DNA all over the room um, I, I like catching people in those lies and 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 yeah it would just be really cool to come up with these really creative interpretations of the law. Um, how about you? I don't know. I think for me, it's a tie between uh, the part where the lawyer uh, either refuses or offers the suspect a deal. Okay. Uh, or the part where uh, this happens in law and order all the time, where the prosecutor demands that the cops find the evidence. Right. Get me my evidence. This case is so circumstantial. I need the evidence. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I, I think I would I would enjoy that. All right. Well, let's bring order to this court. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I am a rom-com fan. I'm Brett, and I am a horror movie fan. Every week here at Necromancer, I pick a rom-com, Brett picks a horror movie, and then we make each other watch those movies and flip-flop them around in the opposite genre. We turn the rom-com into a horror, and the horror into a rom-com, and it's a lot of fun. It should be illegal. Correct. <laughs> but luckily it's not. And so this week we continue our theme of lawyers. Uh, mm. Last week we talked about the uh, inimitable Michael Clayton. And this week we're talking about the equally inimitable, I don't, I can only say that word once right. correctly. Uh, Elle Woods. You flew, you flew too close to the sun, Shira. <laughs> I did. My my wings melted, and and now I am back on Earth in the back of the cab <laughs> with Michael Clayton just driving. Left alone with your regrets. <laughs> yes, uh, and all my gambling debts. Uh, but now we're we're continuing the theme of lawyers and discussing Legally Blonde. I forgot how awesome this movie is it's just so well done yeah i agree uh <laughs> i i don't think this movie is quite like you know it's it's not one of those movies where i would be super 
pumped to watch it again or anything like that. But yeah, I had not seen this movie since it came out and I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought I was going to enjoy it, but I was very pleasantly surprised that it is. It's just a very fun movie. So fun facts about this movie. It is written by the same writing duo that did 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, So uh, this movie was done after that. Uh, I I believe because I think ten things I hate about you is ninety nine. Right. Um, so they they cut their teeth on ten things that would be Kara McCullough, Lutz, and Kirsten Smith, and then Legally Blonde is their sophomore effort. And I I think it's clear to me if you've seen both movies that they only got better. Uh, I, I feel like Legally Blonde takes what 10 Things I Hate About You did well and then just refines it because both of those movies are about female characters that are underestimated or stereotyped, uh, whether it's they're the angry girl or they're the dumb blonde, they're fit into a certain category and then everybody else in their world tries to pigeonhole them there. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I am an extreme fan of underdog movies where someone has to overcome negativity with extreme positivity and who, you know what I mean? I, I like characters that that are constantly upbeat but then they have a moment in the movie to kind of like show that it actually does take work to be upbeat. And it actually does, you know, it's, it's, it's not just her being airheaded and taking everything on is just like, Oh, this will be easy. Like, no, she works her ass off and, and does the work. Um, And she's the underdog. And then at the end of the movie, she wins and it's nice. Oh, it, it's totally earned. Uh, and and yeah, I think uh, there's so many little things in this movie that they do well. And I think, yes, that is how you do a rom-com. This yeah. is how you're supposed to do a rom-com. Uh, and another fun fact that I found out about this movie is apparently uh, my favorite writing duo, as far as some of these rom-coms are concerned, well, they're they're up there. And of course I like, you know, Nora Ephron and um, Nancy Myers and all that, but um, they are uh, reuniting with the director of Legally Blonde to write and direct the Expendables, the uh, female version of the Expendables. And I had zero interest in the Expendables until I learned, oh, it's going to be the same writers and director from Legally Blonde they clearly hit out of the park with this movie. Maybe Expendables is going to be awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a good fit. <laughs> it's a perfect fit. Do you have a cast for Expendables or no? Uh, I, I think that, that I think that there are some people attached to it. So if you you looked it up, I I'm sure that we would we would find it. Uh, but ah, uh, it's just. This this movie is is so great. I as much as I I thought about possibly doing My Cousin Vinny, which is also a really well written comedy. I'm I'm glad uh, that I chose this movie. I am too. 
because I really enjoyed, like, like we mentioned in the Michael Clayton episode, both of these movies are textbook examples of pacing and editing. I thought, yeah, this movie easily could be a two hour bloated rom-com with filler scenes and stupid stuff, but it is like 99 minutes on the dot. No, it's a tight 90 minutes. It is, you know, there's some scenes where they do have, I think they're, they're a little jarring in their, their jumps in, in time, their time jumps in the movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's quickly, you quickly forget about it because the movie is just so fast and so fun. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. You want to know something interesting that both Michael Clayton and Legally Blonde share in common? Uh, both movies begin with uh, characters talking about Michael Clayton and talking about Elle, uh, and you see kind of the world that they're in, and then the character is revealed to you partially. So you see the bi- you see the back of Michael Clayton's head. Or in Elwood's case, you see her brushing her hair or putting on her shoes. And then you don't see the actual character until the moment where you can't possibly stand not looking at them, even though you know, oh, it's going to be Reese Witherspoon. It's going to be George Clooney. We know this, but we're so excited to see them by the time they first appear. Yeah, I agree. This movie does a lot of show and tell. Um, a, a lot of rom-coms that kind of are, are in this sort of territory. I like off the top of my head, the first one I would think of is what is it called? Sorority Boys, right? With the with the cross dresser, the guy's got to get into the sorority. So yes, but that movie's it. terrible, right? But like, I think of I, I I've seen I saw it in theaters. Haven't seen it since, but that to me, that's the kind of movie that when I think about, it's probably filled with a bunch of scenes of like two people in a room sitting, talking and telling each other, this is, this is my motivation. Whereas Legally Blonde does a lot of showing you the motivation, showing you what the character wants, uh, showing you how the character is through their actions and stuff. Yeah. Yes. No, it's just a, I I think especially the opening is just so powerfully feminine and just completely immersed in this just super pink feminine world. And it feels good. Uh, And I don't know, there's, there's so much to like here, but before I get ahead of myself, uh, why don't we get into the summary? You got it. Here we go. Uh, Fashion merchandising student and sorority girl, Elle Woods, is taken... Well, so yeah, we get the buildup of the letter and all of that stuff. We got to deliver the letter to Elle. Elle thinks that she is going to be proposed to by this... uh, The entire universe is telling her. Right. (laughs) Uh, By this very handsome man, uh, Warner Huntington III. I think... Legally Blonde is a fantastic movie at giving the characters the most perfect names. Right. And then he's also a perfect Bellamy, isn't he? Yes. I think, uh, what movie did we watch where... um, Job We Met? No. Although, yes. Uh, What was his name in Job We Met? Anshuman. Anshuman, that's right. Anshuman, the ultimate Bellamy. Uh, He... um, 
Oh, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that guy who was obsessed with them? Oh, no. Uh, The movie, um, What's Your Number, where it had that kind of bland, sort of rich guy in it that she wanted to get together with or something. I think this guy. that type. Yeah, I think this guy, though, does a a very charming job at at his very small role. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's taken to an expensive restaurant by her boyfriend, expecting the proposal and of course the moment he is about to propose to her and she accepts it happily he reveals he's actually uh oh breaking up with her and it's very funny it's very movie rom-com tm sitcom-y where someone would take someone to an expensive restaurant just to break up with them um yes and so but it's very funny i think she uh, reese witherspoon does a great job of of acting airheaded, but also like just having that X factor of being someone who's like naturally spunky. I think what's interesting is that even though the filmmakers wanted her for the role right away, I think the production made them go through all these, um, like all this casting and, and auditions because they couldn't get beyond uh, Tracy Flick uh, Reese's character in Election and Tracy Flick is kind of sort of the, the diametric oh, opposite right. of Elle Woods and so they didn't think they kind of typecast her they didn't think that she had the range to play this completely upbeat positive and charming character uh, and you know I, I mean I think she proved them wondrously wrong yeah, it's interesting when you are auditioning actors because you don't really care to audition them for the part. Like it's an it's a it's an audition. They're not going to get the part right, you know what I mean? Unless it's meant to be. Uh, but you just want to find someone who can take direction and who who can show that they're willing to work with you and who understands the character. So I'm sure that she did a fantastic audition, but also it just seems like. Reese Witherspoon seems like she's got that uh, that range to kind of, you know, she seems like she's calibratable, um, that you can Absolutely. dial her performance. So, yeah. Um, so Warner says that he is going to go to Harvard, Harvard Law School. And because, you know, he, he's going to become a career politician. His whole family is full of politicians. And Elle is not the kind of lady that you would bring into the politician world she she may be a trophy warner seems like a republican so yeah she does seem like a good trophy wife but but it also seems like you know she she seems like she'd be a good trophy wife for the first 10 10 years maybe but then after that like warner's thinking the long game right and but he's Elle, so wrong about Elle. Oh, he could not be more wrong. Uh, so Elle believes, she, she gets this idea, which again, like if, if you're one of those movies that within the first 15 minutes you've set up your idea and the rest of the movie is just paying it off. I, those This, this movie reminded, reminded me a lot of Hot Rod. Uh, if this movie is for 13-year-old teenage girls and Hot Rod is for 13-year-old teenage boys, it's just like it brings out – this movie brings out the inner teenage girl in me. Uh, it, I'm really glad to hear that. It's just so perfectly 
Yes, uh, I, I, it just has so much fun. Um, so Elle gets this idea that she can win Warner back if she shows she can achieve the same things as him, that she's on the same level as him. So she studies really hard and ends up doing a very good job at getting a 179 on her LSAT test. And she does a four, she has a 4.0 GPA, of course. And she gives a fantastic video video essay on why she should be accepted into Harvard. The video entry essay <laughs> was oh, such a great comedic set piece. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a set piece. Have fun with it. Um, it was directed by one of the Coppolas. <laughs> right. I like that. Um, and and you got a little Scott Ackerman in there. Uh, he's one of the board guys, right? Or oh, whatever. I miss that. Yeah, he's only in it for a minute at the most. But I like how the you know again you're talking sitcommy. Like you have to get the school board to accept her as a realistic candidate, and so they just go, yeah, you know what? Diversity. This lady would be a good addition to the school just for diversity. So they accept her. Um, and so upon arriving to Harvard, she notices, um, that everyone's personality is a complete contrast to the people she's familiar with and everyone refuses it's a to colorless take world, like the beginning of, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. And everyone refuses to take her seriously. She joins a study group and everyone's really smart and awkward. And everyone's got all these like really braggy things to talk about. And then Elle's is very like fun and flirty, but yeah, it's good. Um, Elle, Elle quote unquote bumps into Warner and acts surprised. Oh, I didn't know you were here. You go here. I <laughs> right? go here. Um, and her plan of winning him back is immediately has a wrench thrown in it when she discovers that he is engaged to his old girlfriend, Vivian Kensington. Again, the names in this movie. So good. <laughs> Vivian Kensington, uh, who, of course, considers Elle to be a fool. And it's great because she wanted the engagement and then he engaged to her. How could he be engaged to her on such short notice? But it's an on old girlfriend. Bony, unpolished finger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so Elle tells Warner that she intends to apply for one of her professor's internships, but Warner tells her that she um, that she's really not smart enough. She's wasting her time and Wait, you're fast forwarding. This that all happens after she comes to the party, right? Okay, yes. So when uh, as part of the antics of L not fitting in, um, she she's left out of everything. Everyone ignores her. She, you know, it's the the classic scenes of like the equivalent of her going to sit at the lunch table and them all like, this table's full. It's just a bunch of scenes of that. And then when she hears party, I mean, you're talking about Elle Woods in a party. Oh my God, that could not be more perfect. So Vivian tricks her into thinking it's a costume party. So of course, Elle shows up as a really girly pink playboy bunny costume and immediately discovers that it is not a costume party. Oopsie. Vivian gets her laugh on her. And in such a great character turn, she never once makes excuses for it to anyone at the party. She just owns it. Uh, 
It's a great character choice. It's a strong character choice. It's a fitting character choice. I love that scene when it's like, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, have some fun. Uh, yeah, great scene. Uh, but again, this sets up the fact that she really is, again, a fish out of water. Nobody takes her seriously. No one takes her seriously. She's in classes. She's being made fun of. Um, everyone's picking on her specifically. And she storms out of class one time when Raquel Welch kind of picks on her and says like, oh, you didn't oh, do you mean Holland Taylor? Yes. Um, and so she she's she's forced out of class. She's crying. She's really sad. She gets a little pep talk from an extremely charming Luke Wilson. If, he was so cute in this movie. I forgot how cute he used to be. Extremely cute. If anything, I mean, I know a tight 90 minutes is the perfect runtime for this movie. But to be completely honest, if this movie was an hour and 40 minutes and the rest of that 10 minutes was filled with more um, Luke Wilson, I would not have complained. <laughs> so one thing I got to say about this is both times she meets up with Luke Wilson before the uh, internship, I think are great uh, rom-com setups because you have her enduring all these moments and in the moment acting like she's unflappable. So when the professor tells her off, she leaves class and she doesn't raise a fuss. Or when she goes to the party in the bunny costume, she acts like she's above it all when she's there. But then later she's crying on the bench after class or uh, when uh, she leaves the party because now she wants to be taken seriously. She goes to buy a computer and she's standing in the line with Luke Wilson behind her. So right. he gets to see her at all the moments where the sort of the strong facade is gone and he's seeing her being raw, emotional and honest and turning toward her rather than away like everybody else or everybody else is just turning away from her. He is actually taking her seriously. So I think that it's a really good setup when you have a character who seems so strong on the surface to have them meet the romantic lead at those low points. Like, so in your movie remake of Michael Clayton, Michael's romantic interest has to show up right at those moments where he's feeling his lowest. And then that person kind of brings him up. So I think, yeah, Luke Wilson does that in this movie. So they managed to build that relationship with almost zero screen time. Yes. I, I did not know of the term meet cute, of course, when I first heard it. And it's a very hard term to really like, it's easy to describe, it's easy to explain, but it's it's hard to really explain the nuance of it mm -hmm. unless you can actually just show someone a scene. And the term meet cute is perfectly embodied by the bench scene where she's crying and then he gives her the tips. And it's, it is, it's a very cute meeting of our two main love interests uh, in the movie. So... And he sees her being real. I think that that's, right. that's the thing that makes it really work. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, pretty much every moment where she's crushed or down or doubting herself, Luke Wilson appears. Yes. And uh, so she proves herself in 
Professor Callahan's class. Oh, Freaking uh, Victor Garber. Yeah. He's so great at playing pretentious assholes. Yeah, I, I mostly know him from Alias, where he plays a, I, if I remember correctly, he plays kind of a bad guy character. And so it was really cool for me, Alias, like, you know, me being a teenage boy watching this movie. You know, I watch Alias, so I know him as that. And then to see, like, you know, an action actor, as far as I was concerned, like an action actor, bad guy, genre actor play in this, play kind of the same character, but in this movie. Uh, very fun. He, he does a very good job. Uh, but he's, he's sort of the school's most respected teacher. And he only takes on four students, of course, for his internship. And of course, those students are um, Warner, Vivian, L, and then who else? The, the, the lesbian lady, right? Unfortunately, she is a one note character who is mostly concerned with feminism and being a lesbian. And I I actually found it interesting that she isn't an advocate or an ally when it comes to Elle being right. accepted in this space. Uh, I think because her femininity, her feminist is so threatening in a way. Right. Um, but I feel like, like, both are a trap. You know, what Vivian and the other girl are trying to do in being seen as less feminine and more serious is as much a prison as being made into someone that's not serious because being serious is what ugly and boring people do. Yeah. Hashtag you do you. Um, right. I mean, both extremes are are kind of a trap. But before this, though, how about the scene with Jennifer Coolidge when they go to get her dog back? Yes. Okay. So we meet Jennifer Coolidge, who, of course, is very good in anything that she does. And a perfect, oh, she's so good. A perfect actress to play the dumb, airheaded nail salon lady um, and just really... <laughs> but she's a good friend. Right. She she befriends her and and she immediately when Elle comes in with, you know, with very stressed out and with stuff on her mind, she's like, you know, lay it on me sister, all, all that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, she um she's in a divorce, she's in a very uh, harsh place too and of course her ex-husband or ex-boyfriend um took everything including the dog and he doesn't even like the dog, right? Um, and so they go to L kind of has some, some lawyerly spunk in her. She's feeling pretty good and confident about her abilities. So she takes, uh, and of course L knows about dog love cause she has bruiser, her dog, who is a very good sidekick. Um, a very, the thin man dog. Yes, right? like, totally. Just, just thrown in there for like good little little laughs um oh like the part where bruiser scares the opposing council <laughs> right pops up from the bag he he's really good um and so they go and 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 jennifer coolidge immediately crumbles under her abusive ex-boyfriend's uh masculinity and sleaziness and l comes out and bluffs her way using lawyer terms habeas corpus and Subject whatnot. matter jurisdiction. <laughs> uh, and gets the dog back. And it's a great scene. Um, and what am I always saying strong female characters do? They support each other. They support other women. Yes. Yeah. 
I love it. Um, uh, but I do love after they find out who got the internship when she screams, me, yes. <laughs> um, and then, uh, I mean, I guess I'll go through it later. But yeah, we get, we get the setup of the bend and snap, which is... It, it could be just a stupid, cheesy, silly setup, but the fact that they have an entire dance party and the entire nail salon gets into it, it's yeah, just Yeah, when the guy fun... comes out with the highlighter and says, the bend and snap works every time. <laughs> right. It's a great scene, great little... Um, it makes sense that you said this is from the people who did 10 Things I Hate About You, because that works every timeline is is very 10 Thingsy. It's a it's a very good button on the end of a scene. Um, very so this, comedy. This is another thing that I decided to just read about. And apparently the bend and snap scene did almost didn't make it into the movie. Um, what oh. it came out of was, so they thought, okay, we need a B plot involving Jennifer Coolidge. And right. so they thought, well, maybe there was, there's a crime that Elle has to help with. Uh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And then as writers do, they got really drunk at a bar one night <laughs> and then uh, they decided, well, maybe she should help Jennifer Coolidge get with the UPS guy. Well, how is she going to help her get with the UPS guy? Well, she has to show her this move. And then they invented the bend and snap that night. And, you know, after that, it's history. It's iconic. That is something that apparently whenever people meet Reese Witherspoon, they ask her to do it all the time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it was featured among other scenes from Legally Blonde in Ariana Grande's Thank You Next video. Uh, you know, this this scene is is iconic. Yeah, it um, and it's it's kind of. It's kind of like along those again the the sitcommy stuff of like Seinfeld or Friends or something like that, like giving a name to something that is kind of like you know women bending over and stuff is a, a trope or cliche. Like yeah, if you're a, if you're a lady and you you want to get the man's attention, you bend over and. Um, well, it's the snap that the, really takes right. it over the edge of comedy. Yeah, the the snap is really what does it, and giving it that that catchy name of bend and snap. Um, yeah, it's a great scene. Um, and so, again, uh, the, those four people um, that I mentioned are Professor <laughs> Callahan's interns, uh, and they are going to be defending Brooke Windham who of course Elle knows because she's a very prominent fitness instructor and Elle has all of her work. And workout a Delta Nu. Right. And um, she is accused of murdering her husband. Of course, Brooke is unwilling to produce an alibi, which she later reveals to Elle she was having liposuction. So uh, it's, it's a great- Liposuction. <laughs> it's a great scene of like, of course, it, of, she is definitively- innocent we know as an audience she is completely innocent but it gives us a great reason to get some drama in there because she can't explain why because it would destroy her career and l does the really cool thing of not revealing uh brooks alibi even though professor callahan is pretty much like you need to do this um yeah, and so Vivian thinks that that's really cool. They start to kind of have a little bit of bonding and friendship, 
And there's a really cool moment where Vivian reveals Warner was on the wait list for Harvard and couldn't get in without his father making a call and whatnot. And a donation. Right. So it's kind of cool because Elle earns it and her boyfriend who she doesn't or, you know, the ex-boyfriend didn't. Uh, good movie. Uh, Emmett Richmond, Callahan's junior partner, that's the the Luke Wilson, has also, he's, you know, obviously seen Elle's potential. And one night, Mr. Callahan, of course, uh, gets a little handsy with that Elle. That sleazy Victor Garber. Ugh, what an asshole. And it's like, it's so perfect because he... He just flat out says it. You know what I mean? Like he, he's not I'm even a man trying that to hide knows it. what I want. Yeah. He, oh, what a scumbag. Um, and so she basically really wants to quit and go home because every every obstacle she's encountered, she has she has taken on with positivity and optimism and confidence, and she has cleared all the hurdles. But the sexism hurdle is, it's not just like it's a tough hurdle to clear. It's just one that you realize is like, she 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 would have to be fighting that uphill battle her entire career. Oof, no thank you. Um, yeah, being a woman is really hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she tells Emmett what happened. Vivian, of course gets the wrong idea because she's only there for a part of it. And so we have- I like that Emmett believes her immediately. Immediately. He, <laughs> he never once is like, Callahan, never. Not Mr. Callahan. Um, and so, yeah. How, how, how again do we get to, to Elle representing Brooke? So uh, Vivian- Emmett and Brooke are having uh, an interview and uh, Vivian realizes because Emmett says, you've got this all wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I loved when he said that. You tell right. her, Emmett, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, <laughs> Vivian realizes that she made a huge mistake. And then uh, Luke Wilson's like, well, maybe there's something that we can do to fix it. And they all agree. And then we get the big courtroom scene where Allie Larder fires uh, Callahan as her lawyer. Right. So L using a, uh, again, like a very kind of obscure law, uh, takes, takes on Brooks course and decides that she's going to represent her. And in order to do that, she's got to be backed by a licensed attorney. So professor Callahan is like, Oh, I would never back you. I'm Mr. Callahan. And <laughs> Luke Wilton comes to the rescue. Um, he he decides to back her. So now Elle is sort of in over her head. She's very uh, she's very my cousin Vinny, kind of getting some of the stuff wrong. You know, she's very new to it. But again, my cousin Vinny, she begins to cross-examine Brooke's daughter, Linda Cardellini, uh, the stepdaughter Chutney. What a name. <laughs> <laughs> um and notices a very important inconsistency with her story. Chutney says that she was in the shower at the time that uh, Brooke murdered her husband or Chutney's father. And that 
couldn't be because she's had it's a perm right yes you can't get your hair wet after you've had a perm because then you'll lose the curl right it deactivates the ammonium thioglycolate um which is a great like l l being you know knowing the scientific terms for for what goes into a perm is just perfect because being being a lawyer is all about the specifics so it's just a great little moment. Um, Chutney does the uh, does the classic thing of exploding on the witness stand and revealing that she actually killed her father because she wanted to kill Brooke because she hated the fact that her father married someone the same age as her. Um, that is kind of gross, but not worth killing. Right. <laughs> Uh, so after the trial, Warner approaches Elle. He wants her to take him back. She rejects him because he is a complete bonehead. Um, and then she and Vivian become good friends. They, uh, they, they do the, the sort of two years later, she's giving the graduation speech. Um, she's giving the miscongeniality speech and, Emmett has started his own law firm. We get the sort of, you know, what happened to these people. And it ends the same way we went out on a perfect day. I like that symmetry. And I also like, I think, uh, one of the great moments is Warner's epilogue, which is Warner graduated without honors and no job offers. Right. Or I think it's like without a girlfriend, without honors, and no job offers. Yeah, he uh, he gets poo pooed on. <laughs> yeah, it's I I think that that is uh, one of the greatest romance rom com poo poo moments on a on a villain uh, that you get. And this was another one that I was surprised to learn was different. Initially, the movie had a different ending, which was we fast forward and Vivian and L have have started a blonde lawyer law firm and apparently the test audiences were like ah, this ending is awful and so yeah. they had to get reese witherspoon luke wilson all of the cast back for this graduation ending and they had to put a wig on reese witherspoon and on luke wilson because they'd already you know changed their hair for other roles um, but I think that this was a good instance of uh, reshooting. I The original ending of the movie does sound really tacky. Uh, and I like that it ended on uh, the graduation speech. Yeah, I agree. It um, It's a good note to go out on. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty much like 90 minutes. We hit our time. Boom. Peace. We're out of here. <laughs> Oh, one more detail that I really liked. How cool was it when uh, Elle was in the salon crying about Callahan and then chair spins around. It's the other professor, Holland Taylor. And she's, you know, all pithy. Like, if you're going to let that asshole ruin things, you're not the girl I thought you were. Uh, Holland Taylor is so cool in this movie. I feel like she's the answer to how does a woman have it all, being feminine and being so cool and professional at the same time. Because she's as comfortable in the salon as Elle is, but then she's also a badass lawyer who makes law students cry. Yeah, I agree. It's, I mean, it's one of those 
those like underdog crowd pleasing moments of yeah the person who was maybe the most critical of her at the beginning of her school career is now kind of giving her the motivation when she needs it the most and giving her the motivation by saying you know just don't give up just keep doing what you've been doing keep fighting um, just like the judge and Vinny in <laughs> My Cousin Vinny. Oh, I love it. Um, also, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't sing Luke Wilson's praises enough. I like the little butthead scene where so she calls cute. him a butthead. And uh, it, I guffawed out loud for several minutes when he cross-examined the, uh, the, the pool boy. And your boyfriend's and, name is? Yeah. It's such a great, great, like, the, the line delivery and performance is perfect. Because he, he does. He just, he, he lulls them into this moment. And then when uh, when the boyfriend stands up in the back of court and runs away and <laughs> storms off. And it's, it's a silly little scene. But yeah, I, I thought this movie was great. I think it was a perfect day indeed. <laughs> so uh, I got to ask the question, who would you kill from Legally Blonde? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I want to know who you're going to kill first. Professor ha Professor Callahan. I mean, it, it just seeing Warner grovel and graduate without honors is very satisfying to me. So I want to keep him alive just so he can be in pain, you know, like Wesley's monologue in Princess Bride. Um, but uh, Professor Callahan, such a sexist douchebag. Get him. He Get him. Yeah, I... I like to go with like a, a an obscure choice or non obvious choice, but okay. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think of one, but I can't. I I think everyone in this movie is really likable, and yeah, I might have to just go on the moral, the the moral kill, and say yeah, Professor Callahan. I agree, he's the most scumbaggy person. I mean, you could kill the pool boy because he denied his relationship with Chuck, and Chuck doesn't deserve that. That's true. That's true. Chuck deserves better. Chuck deserves so much better. Uh, all right. Well, you mentioned that you had a harder time with the legally blonde horror. Is is that right? That is correct. You are correct, sir. I would say that I also had a difficult time, but I my answer to that difficulty was to just be um oh just completely obscene in how much i borrowed from uh, michael clayton i got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you uh so you so did you go more along the lines of like an actual courtroom thriller i think i think i might as well just i i should I should do yeah. mine first because you're you're going to quickly realize exactly what's going on. Gotcha. Um, uh, spoilers for Michael Clayton if you haven't <laughs> watched that movie yet. Um, so uh, I decided to call my film Blonde Ambition. 
Uh, and, uh, so we open with a boardroom of office workers that are frantically working on something. Meanwhile, fitness guru, Brooke Taylor sweats anxiously in a bathroom stall. We also hear the sound of a voicemail being left on Elle Wood's phone. It's her colleague at the law firm and her former classmate, Vivian. Vivian rants over the phone about how their jobs have made them corrupt and unclean. Where is Elle? Oh, well, we cut to an underground poker game (laughs) where we see the back of a familiar blonde woman. (laughs) It's Elle. Uh, Another player at the table brings up Elle's failed salon and accuses her of trying to be some kind of big shot. Then Elle leaves the table and collects her things. Her phone starts ringing. It's a partner at the firm. One of their clients got into an accident and when they tried to bend and snap in front of a passing car and it crashed as a result. Sure. <laughs> so Elle drives to the suburbs to talk to the client who yells at her for suggesting another lawyer. The client shouts, they promised me legally blonde. And Elle responds, that was a long time ago. I'm yeah. just a bottle blonde. Aww. She drives away and then she stops on the side of the road when she sees a herd of wild chihuahuas. <laughs> she <laughs> <laughs> she then gets they, out. They do move in packs. <laughs> they right? do. They do. It was just, you know, three chihuahuas that look like bruisers standing next to a tree. Right. <laughs> so, of course, she gets out of the car to take a closer look, and then her car explodes. And wouldn't you know it, we go back to four days earlier. <laughs> you know, Elle is uh, actually divorced from Emmett <laughs> and uh, heavily in debt to loan sharks because Paulette used all the money for their salon to buy drugs. Uh, And then uh, so Elle goes to bail out Vivian uh, and then she learns about Vivian's manic episode during the deposition and Vivian reveals to Elle that Brooke Taylor's fitness empire is built on lies. She sold the public on her butt busting workouts when the whole time she's been keeping up her appearance through plastic surgery. And so Vivian wants to take Brooke down uh l of course oh instead of plastic surgery you could make it a little bit more topical and have like filters oh wow yeah no mariah like like mariah carey yeah so like she she, she's very secretive maybe she could be like the diva in fifth element she's very secretive in person because anytime she's seen she has to be seen on camera so she can have the filter Mm-hmm. mm-hmm So Elle's trying to control the situation, but of course Vivian escapes back to New York, and then Brooke decides to use two hitmen to bug Vivian's apartment. Uh, Oh, you know what I didn't mention during the last episode is how freaking hot Terry Serpico is. I mean, he wasn't my choice as a crush, um, but gosh, that guy is really good looking. He's one of the Uh, hitmen? Yeah, he's the the more... The blondie hitman. Gotcha. Those guys reminded me of um, a more competent version of Enemy of the State. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, that that guy, that Terry Serpico. Meow. Um, so they learn that she has evidence to put Brooke's company under. So Brooke gives them the go-ahead uh, to kill her. Uh, Elle learns of Vivian's death and becomes suspicious when she learns Vivian booked, booked a hotel room for David Kidney, their former law school classmate who's now a famous trial lawyer. Uh, so Brooke gives the hitman the go-ahead to get rid of Elle, and then, of course, they install the car bomb. It goes off, and Elle goes to Paulette for help. Then we get the big confrontation scene where Elle goes to confront Brooke Taylor. I'm Shiva the Destroyer. No. <laughs> so she shouts She shouts at Brooke, I'm not the blonde you kill. I'm the blonde you pay off. And we're both Delta News. Doesn't that mean anything to you? Uh, and then Brooke promises to give Elle whatever she wants. And then Elle reveals she got everything she needed from recording their conversation. You're so fucked. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine Reese Witherspoon saying it exactly like George Clooney? Because I can. I um, can. <laughs> and then, of course, Elle gets into a taxi, gives the driver 50 bucks to go anywhere. And then when she hears Perfect Day on the radio, she asks the driver to turn it up. Nice. I like so, it. So, uh, L. Michael Clayton Woods. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it's very familiar, isn't it? <laughs> very familiar. Yes, yes. Um, it reminds me of my, excuse me. It reminds me of my uh, remix of, what was it? Uh, the Tom, Night and Day. Oh, yeah? Right, where I basically did the same exact plot, beat for beat, only I inserted Universal Horror Monsters into it. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a... Uh, I think it could be seen as a little bit of a cop-out. But, you know, fitting in little details like a herd of chihuahuas is that's that's what I signed up for when I when I signed up for this podcast. I just feel like chihuahuas would resonate with Elm right. more than horses. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, my only note would be instead of having three chihuahuas, having like 30 chihuahuas. <laughs> uh, Do they still big. all run away when uh, in the car? All but one. one. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. Uh, good stuff. So tell me about yours. Okay, so when you when you do your pitches, do you write down like a narration, like a little short story summary? Um, I write down pretty much everything that I read to you. Um, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll add in a little flourish, but right. you know, it's weird. Sometimes I can think of things that would be funny for characters in the story to say. Um, like when I did the, um, <laughs> when I did that Karen remix, right. um, you know, I'm calling the police or mm -hmm. it's illegal for you to be here. You know, there's just some things that it's like, that's a line. Um, but, you know, it, it really just depends on the thing. Did uh, did more dialogue come to you with this one? No. So this is a this is a, a like a, a messy blueprint of a script. So I, I might. Oh, I have those, too. Yeah, I might be a little bit all over the place, but I call I just went with the, the cop out on mine. I went with legally dead instead of legally blonde, of course. 
um, like it. L is going to school to be an exorcist. Interesting. So uh, is she in class with the conjuring couple? Yeah, we can have a little uh, Warren cameo in there. Um, maybe they can be giving a, uh, a guest lecture or something. Um, and we start out with a priest who's like the, the head priest, I'll call him. He's the Victor Garber priest. And he is, he's, he's not revealed to be a bad guy at the beginning, but he is predictably shady enough where you go, okay, this guy's a bad guy. Um, Cardinal Callahan. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Cardinal Callahan. That fits. Um, and so, so L kind of she has to go through this graduation test and in the test you have to exercise uh, a level one demon right and so it's a very easy exorcism very by the books you just you know i I know that you said in the past you 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 are critical of exorcism movies that end with just people reading out of a book um but the beginning the beginning of the movie we set it up as that's a normal exorcism you just read the passages and when the demon gets more angry at you, you read the passage louder. Um, So it's a very easy exorcism. But when Elle goes to do it, everything goes wrong. Um, And and things get really out of hand. And a bunch of like priests who are watching and grading her have to jump in. And it becomes a whole production where like everyone has to hold their hands together and really do their best to like like sedate this demon and expel him and the demon almost gets out and it's really close and he like something he flashes some image in front of l and it's very creepy and scary um and so it's later revealed that this is a level five demon which is the most (gasps) right defcon five level five is like a head level demon she thought she was going in for her training day and this is something else right uh and so now that Elle is kind of cursed, she's she she is close to giving up and whatnot, but she 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 goes, she she decides she's gonna go to lawyer school <laughs> instead. Uh instead of being a, a priest. I love that you call it lawyer school. Well, what what would you call it? Law it's school? No, nah, lawyer <laughs> school. You go you go to school to be a lawyer. You you go to doctor school, right? <laughs> uh so she goes to lawyer school, and what I'm thinking is I have I have five little s- scenarios here, and my my spell my reincantation is rise from the dead now. But in the real movie, we'll we'll come up with like more specific or, or Latiny type words. Uh, she she when when she says those words, she will unleash the demon again right because now the demon is like bonded to her after this this failed exorcism and so she knows when she says these words the demon will be resurrected and he'll be all powerful Uh and stuff like that and so so she's very nervous to to say these words but she's also kind of like thinking that it's not real you know what i mean like now that she's not in exorcism classes and stuff she she's nervous but she she finds ways to overcome that and so in her admission phase when she's recording her video essay she she has to say one of the words maybe it's part of the motto or something and nothing happens to her so she's like oh maybe this curse maybe i'm really not cursed or maybe it's all in my head but when they watch it on the admission thing 
when she says that word, like all the power goes out. So it's like, we, the audience know something's happening, but she doesn't. Um, In class, maybe she's doing a group project, but one of the group members gets held up in traffic or something. So Elle has to read her speech or her whatever. And one of the, so Elle didn't prep this speech, but the person who did prep it included one of the forbidden words that she's not supposed to say. So Elle's like in class and she doesn't want to say it, but everyone's looking at her and she has to be professional. So she has to say it. And, you know, maybe the student who's in the car accident ends up dying because she says it, you know, something crazy. Um, I want to do like a, 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 a karaoke scene, but I want to change it up. So this will be like the personal fun scene where she goes out with some of her classmates. She's having a really good time. And then she has to say one of the words and it's like, it catches her completely off guard. And she like at the height of her having the most fun she's had in a while, she then, you know, has something really bad happen to her. So when I was, when I lived in Chicago, they had this little thing called movie which is movie scenes that are subtitled and you go up there and you do the little monologue or you can go up there with two people or whatever and do a scene. That sounds so cool. It's so cool. You're at the bar, you're having some drinks, you do some movie scenes. It's a good time. And so maybe one of the scenes is like, she gets pressured into it and it's a horror movie. Maybe it's a exorcism scene. And so she has to say one of the words and then maybe she vomits, you know, exorcism style. Um, Like black vomit. Right. Really gross. Uh, gross stuff. And then later uh, she's working on a case as a student or something and she's on the stand and cross-examination and she's actually cross-examining um, the the head priest because by now for some reason we realize he's a bad guy but she has to defend him because of her connection to the school, the the exorcism school. And she knows he's a bad guy by now. She kind of figures it out. She She figures out he's the one who made the demon a level five demon instead of a level one demon. She's cause he wanted the demon to be mm. resurrected and he didn't think L would have the, the, the means to contain the demon. And so now he's trying to get her to say the words cause he knows she has to say them. So in cross-examination, he's somehow will figure it out where he's, specifically steering the examination towards her having to say this word so that she can get her, I don't know, her lawyer points. However, however courts work and juries work, you know, lawyer points, you tally them up at the end, whoever's got the most lawyer points wins the case. Um, But then. That's how it works. Right. Uh, But then at the end, when she's delivering, delivering her final statement, she she kind of is like really scared. She she feels like she's almost not going to go through with it. But in her final statement, you know, her big motivational speech, she actually motivates herself, you know, very uh, up in the air. George Clooney giving the speech about how you shouldn't have any belongings or attachments. And then he motivates himself to leave the speech and go to the lady and stuff like that. Uh, so at the end of the speech, she says the final word, but she says it now. She says it with like conviction and she's like, yeah, I'm going to kick your ass demon. So in the middle of the court, the demon is unleashed. He's like, ah, you fool. Now I'm all powerful. You know, the priest, <laughs> the priest, the, the demon 
infects the priest instead of her because whatever reason and then he like turns super saiyan but demon form and he's like ah my evil has been unleashed onto the world i'm the antichrist i will rule but then l is like actually according to the old bible of the whatever division of whatever translation and she starts speaking in latin and reading this original translation text from latin the old courthouse used to be built on sacred ground so she has to basically go to court battle with the demon and explain like use some kind of constantine or dr strange-esque loophole and like say to the demon yeah i've come to bargain um she's got to kind of like trick him into going you know into that scene where he's like you know i shot my father you know um and so then the demon loses he's dragged back to hell and that's the end of the movie is the demon losing and yeah and we can have a fun little gimmick of like when she starts speaking latin all the other lawyers start speaking Latin and the judge starts speaking Latin and the jurors are all like confused. They don't know what's going on because you can only have the demon courtroom scene in Latin because it requires the specific wording and, and translation. And all the lawyers know Latin. And of course all the lawyers know Latin. So it's like a, a little scene of like, you know, it's funny. Like everyone's like, well, I know it. I know it. I know it. And the demon thinks he's going to get out of it because no one knows it. But yeah, they're all lawyers. They all know Latin. So I like I like that in Legally Dead, the climax is the demon getting defended or defeated by law. Right. (laughs) It uh uh this this horror is more of a personal psychological horror where she doesn't think she has the personal gumption and the the personal strength to overtake the demon. She doesn't think she has the personal faith to overcome the demon. But at the end, she learns to have self-confidence and she overcomes her personal demons as well as the external demons. So yes, ma'am. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) I like it a lot. Legally dead. Legally dead. All right. Before we get into our love bites of the week, you can find us at the necromancer podcast on instagram or necromancer pod on facebook and twitter and if you can't remember those variations we are also necromancer podcast at gmail.com reach out to us rate us feedback us give us feedback we love you feed us back <laughs> we love people uh all right so love bites what would you like to recommend this week Okay, so your last uh, your last pitch had a uh, medieval theme to it, right? And this is true. I've stated before on the podcast that I've always wanted to like a medieval movie or franchise or television show. I've just never found the one that's really been right for me. And um, I've also said in the past that I had Shudder, but I think Shudder, I, I hate to say it, but I think Shudder is a little weak. Um, I think it's <gasps> scandalo. <laughs> I for think the it is fan. Uh, all of the exclusives. I just like, I, I haven't really found an exclusive that I really, really liked. Um, well, actually that's not true, but 
Long story short, I think Shudder is well, well, well worth the free trial. I think there's a lot of stuff that you could spend one month on. Like if you're a horror fan, get the trial, see if it's worth it for you, but it's worth the trial. And one of the movies that they have, which I think is an exclusive, I don't know if that means they bought it or if they produced it or whatever, but it's called The Headhunter. And it is a, a movie about like a Germanic barbarian guy who's a loner and his job is his daughter was killed by a a monster and his job is to hunt monsters and cut off their heads and get the bounties for them and then he has to of course confront the monster that killed his daughter you never see the monster except for kind of at the very end but it's an extremely low budget movie the movie basically only has the man in it like his daughter dies off really quick interesting and it only has him in it. So it's only a guy walking around living his shitty monster hunter life. Um, but it's a really well done movie. Like the production value is extremely well high. It's got a lot of great character touches, great moments. It's extremely quiet. It's only, I think it's less than an hour and a half. It's only like an hour, 20 minutes. So well, you know, now that's economical. Yeah, it does feel maybe a little bit long because it's it's got a lot of long pauses and silences. Um, and the budget really does show, or the lack of budget really does show, but they use it so well and they tell such a great story and they really build this world really well. It reminds me of like Monsters, you know, Gareth Edwards' movie Monsters, um, where like they don't really show the monsters, but it's a good story about them. Um, the guy who did this movie, man, it'd be cool to see him do a big budget Godzilla type movie. You know, they gave Gareth Edwards Godzilla after he did Monsters. Give this guy King Ghidorah or something. I, that'd be badass. Um, yeah, check it out. The Headhunter. The Headhunter. I will check that out. I mean, I love I love a good, you know, gritty medieval movie. Very gritty. Very medieval. Very movie. <laughs> Yeah, people in medieval times seem like they're perpetually covered in mud. Yeah, this guy is—he's got a big bushy beard, and he's oh, he's always scowling. He's got a good scowl. Um, yeah, it's, well, a, it's we a really cool love a good grump. Oh, I love him. Uh, so, how about you? What movie are you going to? So, I'm going to pull a Brett and make a recommendation that isn't related to the theme. Uh, I have uh, expressed on this podcast before uh, that I'm a fan of Korean dramas, but I took a long break from watching them and now I'm back in baby. Uh, And there is a K drama that is on Hulu that I've been watching that I think is really well written and has my requirement for a strong female character, which as I've mentioned repeatedly, is when women come in and they help other women. The name of the show is uh, Search WWW. It's about three women in Korea who have high position jobs at uh, tech companies that are essentially the Korean equivalent of Google, Uh, but they're in competition with each other. So you have uh, this rivalry happening between these three women. And then over the course of the series, they grow to be really fierce defenders of each other. 
And then uh, each each of the lead females, each of the three lead females has a really satisfying for their character romance. Uh, so for the main woman, she ends up in a entanglement with this man who's 10 years younger. So uh, <laughs> if you are interested in seeing an age gap where the woman is the older partner, I think that this is a really great one for that trope. Uh, and then uh, one of the main sort of rival bad guys of the trio is in a marriage of convenience that is kind of strange and interesting. And then the third one falls for an actor that she first sees on TV and then finds in real life. But uh, it's a very cute show, well-written show, strong female characters by my definition. And uh, I think a good one to start with if you've never watched a Korean drama. Hmm. Sounds pretty interesting. Uh, where Where is it? Hulu? Hulu. Gotcha. And you know, you were talking about meet cutes earlier. Yeah. The meet cute between the lead female and her uh, younger partner is perfect. She is after a busy day at work where she's been beaten down. She goes to an arcade and she's playing Tekken. And the person on the other side playing her, because you know, in an arcade, they have yeah. it set up to where uh, if you sit on one side, the person on the other side is your competitor. And he keeps beating her in Tekken. And then afterwards, she asks him for a drink and romance ensues. Uh, but I liked that as a uh, as an opener meet cute where she's just destroying everyone in the arcade at Tekken. Right. And then this guy walks up and he can't be beat. Ooh. I don't like that it's Tekken, though. I think Tekken is a garbage game, and I am not saying that because I'm bad at it. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's a garbage game. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was never that good at fighting games. No, me neither. Um, all right. <laughs> well, I guess that is it for this week. Do you have a lawyer pun for us to end on? Because I already used court as adjourned. Um, we will take a one-week recess. I like it. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.